This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am Doug Scott, joined, as always, by the man himself, QB11, Andrew. Great day, huh? Honestly, like, uh, from, from a day where there's no football, and there really wasn't a commitment until about, what, 15 minutes ago, uh, one of the best days of Oregon football history on a non-game day. Right, like in terms of just yeah. the outcome and what it means for the future and and the uh, trajectory of the program, like all the things that we would have hoped could have happened over the last two years, I guess, really since we started this podcast, have kind of all um, come together and 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 created this this like stability, this program stability and trajectory that I honestly never knew could exist. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look back at, you know, we we don't have to recount for our listeners, you know, what has happened with Oregon and their coaches and other big time jobs coming for those coaches. Like it, it's it's a everyone knows that story, and you know, it always felt up until today like, well, that's just the way it is, right? I mean, you've had a tweet pinned to the top of your profile for about two years since you know since around the time Dan Landing came here and Mario left is something along the lines of like well you know if the if the best if the biggest problem we have is our coaches are so successful that you know blue blood elite programs come and hire them away like that's a good problem to have and that was true and I think today that's no longer true I because I don't think that's a problem anymore for this program no I don't I think it's time to update that tweet um, yeah, uh, I mean, Dan, the, uh, you know, Oregon hiring Dan Lanning was obviously a smart hire and <laughs> easy to sit here and say that now I'm sure the powers that be, but it was, you know, there was risk involved, right? First time head coach, doesn't matter how good you think he is, how, how well prepared you, you think he is, how ready he is for the job, what, what he says in the interview at the end of the day, there's a risk in in the football field aspect and the program building aspect, how does that work out? And there's also a risk in, you know, maybe he just doesn't, maybe this isn't the guy or, or maybe he is, and he's the next guy to leave and take the next job. Right. And it was a risk on Oregon's part. I thought they were smart in the way that they approached that. And, and they bet on Dan and I thought Dan was smart in the way that he bet on himself 
And I really, I'm sitting here today and I'm thinking about the way that Oregon renewed this deal last summer after one year, after one season, they didn't just renew the deal. They, they basically doubled his salary. They paid him above market rate at the time. And maybe it'll get another update. Who knows? Who cares? If that's between them, they'll figure it out. Right. But they, they basically said, you're a guy we've, we've seen enough. We know we're going to bet on you. We're going to double down. We're going to build in some extra incentives. We're going to up your, your buyout. We're going to do these things. We're going to give you every resource within reason. That's, that's imaginable for you to use to build this program. And Dan, which is very unique in this industry. And I, I think Dan's just different, but he, he made a, a commitment back. Right. I mean, and not just in what he said, not just in what he did, not just in the contract he signed, but he's betting, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship and it, it feels like there's loyalty that's going both ways right now. And, and it's, it seems like something rare in the sport at this time. Yeah. I, I think Dan is probably the first coach who didn't have a bias towards going to another place that was able to fully understand, comprehend and process the potential of this program. Um, and I think that Chip kind of did, but Chip didn't, Chip wasn't equipped in the same way as a leader and as a, as a program manager that Dan is. Um, but like Mario, I think appreciated Oregon to the extent that it wasn't home and like Miami was home. Miami is the program that he loves. And I can, I can respect, honestly, I can respect that. Um, and Willie uh, saw Oregon completely as a stepping stone and as a tool. Um, and I think that what Dan has done is he's looked at the history of the program. He's looked at what those two guys did and experience. And then I think there's also a unique case here where Dan was Phil's hire. Like that was Phil's pick. Like I, I the, the, the letter, like there was certainly some, some, uh, consternation among uh, a certain class of boosters at Oregon that Justin Wilcox wasn't the guy, because I think a lot, there was a, there was a good chunk of people who donate decent amount of money to Oregon who were ready to throw in the flag on becoming exactly what Oregon became today and just go for the guy that bleeds green and yellow and went here. And Phil was not about to do that after everything that he's invested in the program. And I appreciate his competitive stamina because what it's done is we've got Dan, we were proactive. We recognize that we hit, right? Like it's like when you hit a hole, when you, uh, when you make a really good hire, like you got to be proactive about that. Like Washington is learning the consequences of that currently when you like try to low ball and play games and try to keep, to keep things budget instead of just being like, Hey, like we believe in you. We believed in you first. You're our guy. Like, can we put together a contract that's mutually beneficial where you're being paid probably way more than you quite, you air quotes are worth right now. Um, but we know what you're going to become and what you're building here. And then we're going to give you everything around you to build the infrastructure um, so that, that that this program can realize its potential. And that's and that's really ultimately what this is, is this is accumulation of so many steps over the last 25 years, 30 years that have now landed Oregon in a spot where even relative to a year ago, like Oregon's now in the Big Ten. Oregon's not just a Big Ten school. Oregon is probably not probably Oregon is absolutely a top three program in the big 10, not just from the quality of team, but the quality of program. And now Oregon has their coach who not only said no to a ton of money from A&M, which is one thing it's like, okay, well he said no to A&M cause maybe he, cause he's waiting for Bama. Well then Bama comes open and what does he do? 
says no to Bama. And so now, if as an Oregon fan, as an Oregon administrator, booster, um, or or a player or pr- perspective to the student athlete, you're sitting here and you have to ask yourself, okay, well, it didn't take massive amounts of money like AM has. And the the bluest of blue blood that has won six national titles in a 12-year span under Nick Saban isn't enough. So that means that this guy thinks our job is as good as any job not like not as good as any job but like two or three at the top though like as good as absolutely any job in america and i don't think if you're being like logical that you can argue with him about that assessment yeah i think you know i think a lot of people point to the like the the adage right you don't want to follow the legend you want to follow the guy who follows the legend and I actually think that's true, but I also think that's not really what's at play here. I, I think there's the other the other saying you look at, and you talk about this in recruiting a lot, right? Like, oh, do you want to be the the next five star that goes to Bama or Georgia and wins another title and just be another name on the wall, or do you want to be the guy that comes, you know, somewhere else, paves your way your your own way and wins a title? When's that that school the first title they've ever won, right? And you're now a legend, right? And I think I think that aspect is at play here too. Right. And for, from a coaching perspective is, I mean, Dan could go to Bama and he could, you know, he's going to recruit like, I mean, obviously he's going to recruit, right. He recruits in Oregon. He's going to recruit at Bama and he, and he probably would win a title there, you know, over the next five years, but he's always going to be in Saban's shadow and, and, and it's expected, right? Like if Dan wins a title at Bama, it's like, well, yeah, of course he did. Everyone should like, but if he wins a title at Oregon, like you know, that, that's a, that's paving your own trail. And some people are built like that. Some people want that challenge, want, or, you know, relish that. I want to write my name in the history books mm-hmm. in a different way. Right. And, and, and I think there's, you know, I'm guessing, but I think there's a, there's a component of that at play here. I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, I also just think that Oregon as a program and as a job has leveled up substantially in the last five years. Like Mike Mario came and he gave proof of concept to the fact that you could recruit at a high enough level to get it done period chip chip did it like chip won at a high enough level and got close without the recruiting but he had a lot of unique factors that just don't exist in today's day and age um and then dan came here and injected an element of organization and um i think just a a higher level football acumen and then took the recruiting to an even higher level and then we joined the Big Ten. So now it's like I talked about this in a space a little bit earlier. Like when when this staff got here, and when we were in the Pac-12, there were several like anybody who's any, ever worked in any kind of sales um, or business environment most likely has done some type of objection handling, whether it was with uh, prospective clients, current clients, or some or, or maybe someone you work with, where it's like, okay, these are these are problems that we're used to hearing about. Right. Well, Oregon's problem that they heard about all the time on the recruiting trails. Well, the Pac-12 is isn't a good conference, and it's way out there on the West Coast, isolated. No one watches the Pac-12, and uh, it doesn't put a lot of players in the draft, and the competition's not very good. So you're not going to get as you're not going to get as quality of a look on a week-to-week basis as you do in the SEC or the Big Ten. The second that Oregon went to the Big Ten, that's all gone. It's even playing field because the SEC and the Big Ten are even playing field. So now all those objections on the recruiting trail are gone. Also, any questions about financial viability for the Oregon Athletic Department going forward, which probably were more than ridiculous at the time, are now like even more ridiculous because Oregon is in one of the power two conferences where, financially speaking, they will always be at the table as long as there's a table. So, yeah, and we're 
Yeah, go ahead. So, like, like fundamentally, the, I think the the stature of the job has changed. Like, Oregon was a top two job in the Pac-12, and that was like, okay, that's solid, but like, it's the Pac-12. And well, now Oregon is what a top three job in the Big Ten. Top three, Which, top four, however, depending on how you want to top, yeah. yeah, if you're a top three or top four job in the Big Ten, and especially right now, you might be a top two job in the Big Ten, then that means that you're a top five job in the country because there's no jobs in the Big 12 better. I would I would argue, as crazy as it sounds, that there's no jobs in the ACC better. No, I don't think that's crazy at all. I, I like look, We're in the power two world now, right? Like, if you're not in the power two, you're falling behind. And I think there's, that's a, I think if, if, that's why you might see Mike Norvell being the next Alabama head coach, right? And, and because you, if you're outside the power two, you need to get inside the power two. You have to. Yeah, and I, I, I think that there's clearly some programs in the ACC that will end up in the power two, whether it's Clemson, Eventually, Florida State. But, but if you're a coach on those teams, you want to wait around for that. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Especially if it's a job like Alabama. I mean, if it's Vanderbilt, you'll wait around. <laughs> That's offering, right? But if you're talking about a top-tier job in the Power 2, yeah. you're not going to be like, well, maybe we'll <clears> get there in two, three, four years down the road. Regardless. And we'll spend $100 million or $200 million on, in this, to get to do that that we can't now spend on actually building my program. In this in this new landscape that exists, like I'm going to keep it short because I've been super long-winded so far on this pod. In this, in this new... Uh, environment that exists in college football, the NIL transfer portal environment, the value of being a blue bud is lessened substantially. And it really, what it comes down to is how organized and how, uh, how organized are you and how organized is your booster base? And is everybody from an administrative coaching staff, player, booster um, level, is everyone pulling in the same direction? And does everyone have an equal level of commitment and organization? Is everyone falling into line into their roles? And right now, Oregon is doing that as well or better than anybody in the country. And because of that, it it cha- it 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 limits the advantages of some of the other schools, and it hyper inflates the advantages that Oregon has structurally. Um, and then now, in again, in this ecosystem, in this condensed ecosystem of a Big Two, where Oregon's one of those teams, um, it, it's it, you can't argue with Dan's assertion today on the Pat McAfee show that like Oregon is as good of a job as any job in the country. Yeah, and just to kind of double down a little bit because you stole my you stole my thunder a little bit there, QB. But I think people, whether they're fans, whether they're pundits, you know, national, online, local, whatever, like you really have to draw a line in the sand when you're when you're saying like, oh, what job is better than what job? Where you know, the, evaluating programs, evaluating like what what jobs are better than others. You really have to like put your historical biases aside and like. We are in a completely different, it's, it, it might as well be a different sport right now, QB, in the last, I would say even starting next year going forward with the 12-team playoff is kind of like the next evolution of the sport, right? But, but you know, it started with the, the portal and unlimited, and now it's unlimited transfers also, right? So that's another wrinkle. You have unlimited transfers, you have NIL, you have 12-team playoff, you have the power two structure from a monetary perspective and a visibility perspective. The sport now... And how you evaluate one job versus another job, throw out everything you knew, you know, from 100 years of history because it's irrelevant. Like, look at it now and look at what programs are are in that echelon, that elite echelon. And and do they have, are they in, first of all, are they in the power two? If not, they're not a top, they're not a tier one job. That's just, it is. It, they're not. That's just, a, it's an absolute requirement. 
And then you go from there and you say, okay, what all the things you said, uh, you know, can they get the talent? Yeah, at the at the highest levels, can they can they compete for for titles of nationally and in their conference? Do they are they all aligned? Do they have the funding? Do they have the resources? Do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the will? Do they have the fan support, boosters, all of those things? And that's how you rank those jobs. And it's unquestionably, Oregon right now is in the top seven, eight. If you take the top four out of the big and the top four out of the SEC, and then, you know whatever, you, people can quibble on the order, and I don't want to do that here. But it's unquestionably in that top eight, and the gaps between those are pretty small. I mean, you, I'd probably put Texas and Georgia as the top two for obvious reasons. Texas is more money than God. If it's fully activated, I, I, I just think it's a top two job from the from the op, from the 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 potential right alone. And obviously, they're starting to activate that potential right now again. And and then obviously Georgia for obvious reasons. You know, maybe Bama's third. We'll see what happens, you know, with whoever replaces Saban. Um, but it's it's a top top seven, eight, and Oregon's in it, and the gaps are small. And and when you're already are building something and having it rolling like Dan does entering three year three, like the cost to move and reset and, and start that over again is high. For what yeah. gain? For a minimal gain, potentially. It's a Agreed. new world. It's a new world. And I think that like the the value the value that used to be put on being a blue blood, I think is a little bit lessened. I think now like you can organizationally overcome some of those things. And then over time, as you do that um, with consistency, it just elevates you. And so like right now, like I, I, I would be interested, like I know we're going to, we're going to have some pretty good guests on the show here in the, in the not too distant future. Um, but there's some national people that I really respect. I like to get their opinion. Like I, I, I think that Oregon is undoubtedly a 10 top 10 job in the country now. And I, I don't think that the separation between one and 10 is as big as it once was. I think that there are some schools like Texas that like do have more money than anybody else. Um, but I think that Oregon is more than fine financially and like not just because of Phil anymore, but also because of conference affiliation. Um, and then all of that other stuff is just an additive at that point. Um, and, and, and I think that like the consistency and under the consistency, wow, words are hard. The consistency under which Oregon has won now for almost 30 straight years is it, it's like, it's not like Oregon is not just like a flash in the pan that has just arrived anymore. Like Oregon's a consistent winner under multiple coaches. This is not just a Chip Kelly thing. This is not just a Mike Bellotti thing or a Rich Brooks thing. This is like coach after coach after coach. And like, to, yeah. to be completely frank with you, Dan is by far the most talented of any of those guys. I think any of those I guys, mean, was, if they're being honest, except for Mario, would tell you that. Yeah. I mean, you go to, you know, Bilotti, Chip, Helfrich, Mario, Dan have all won New Year's Six games. They've all finished in the top five of the polls. Uh, it, it It's it's not just a coach that does this. And and obviously, like you said, Dan is above and beyond, and, and this program is going to new heights never before seen and they're really clicking on every facet of 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 the way right i mean they're checking every box and and building this thing and we're entering year three and it's just going to continue to build you know kind of flipping back you know the way dan has handled this is very unique to me in the comments you go back to when the a&m job came open late october early november and he came out in the in that um presser and how strongly 
he talked about, I mean, he's zero chance I'll be coaching anywhere else next year. Like just emphatic declarative statements that you don't see coaches make, right? Even when coaches say, you know, you're going to shoot down rumors, they don't say it with that level of, you know, of, of certainty and, you know, they leave themselves wiggle room or they're, or they're, you know, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to be here. You know I mean? The way, like he just, the way he was so emphatic about it. And then in December, a couple of weeks ago, right before the bowl game, he comes out again and his statement is even stronger. The words that he says are even more emphatic about, you know, this is my forever job. I'm going to, re- you know, this is the last job I want. Like, I mean, just like insane doubling down. And now today, you know, he releases that video which was, you know, today really was impressive today is about how, how well Dan and the program and everyone used the attention that had been on him in this coaching search, which in most cases is a negative, right? Because it gets recruits worrying. It gets players worrying. It gets fans worrying. It's like, oh, is he going to go? Is he going to go? And what they were able to do is completely flip, flip the script on that and turn all of that attention into an absolute, unequivocal home run message first with Dan's video, then his appearance on the Pat McAfee show, then the, 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 the funny little video that the ducks recruiting, um, you know, Twitter account released early, you know, a, a couple hours ago. Right. But like, let's take this negative. We're turning it into a positive and we're absolutely going to crush this. And well, they, they <clears> owned it today. They owned yes, it. They did. And like when like we talk about leveling up the program, when you have a coach do this and then you advertise it the way that Oregon did today, like that, like that leaves a lasting impression. Like everybody in the national media, I think perception nationally around this job changed today because of the way it was handled. Um, and then again, I think it was masterful. They do this, they they completely grab the national media attention all morning, and then they come back in the afternoon and they secure a commitment from five star former number one overall receiver in the country, Evan Stewart. Like, like the, they just, they're so good at this. They're so, so good at this. Yeah. And to follow up on something you just said about the national pundits, right? Like, cause I think what, I think you're right. I think it's going to change because what happened when this job came open, what happened when the AM job came open, what's happened with Oregon in the past when, when Mario was here and other jobs came open, right? Like all of these national pundits, what do they have to do? They have to immediately see, tweet out their, like, here's the top candidate list, right? And Oregon's coach. First Mario, now Dan is always on that list because Oregon is always is always playing at a really high level, recruiting at a really high level. They're a nationally relevant program, always in in or around the top ten every year. So of course their coaches are going to be on that list. And and but the other reason their coach is always on that list is because the perception has been they're gettable, they're gettable for this job that is better than the job at Oregon, right? And you know whose name you never see on those lists? Kirby Smart, Nick Saban. You, you know, the guys like that because they're not gettable. Right. No. And now when this next big job comes open, Dan's I don't think Dan gettable. Lenny's name is going to be on that list. <laughs> Dan's not gettable anymore. Dan's not going to be on that list. And this is, and this but is those where guys aren't are going to say Dan's not gettable. Nope. Forget him. And this is where it's program defining, defining because you have, you just like, first of all, Dan, like we agree. I think you and I both agree. Dan's the most talented coach Oregon's ever had. Um, he has the most resources and he has the best version of the Oregon program that's ever existed. He's also only 36 years old. So you lock him up now, you have your coach for a very, very long time. So that 
like that's program defined. It's program changing. It changes the math of Oregon football. So I like again the, today. Today was a massively impactful day because it could have been a really sad day, right? And like it could be, we could be extremely dejected right now. And instead, we're excited. And now it's like the 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 vision, the building is is insane. And I think uh, there's a lot of fans out there of other teams of Oregon's rivals um, that like to like discredit what Dan's been doing. And they're like, well, he's had he had talent when he got here and all this stuff. Like, no, this roster that we're going in the spring ball with is a completely different freaking animal than anything that he inherited. And it's and and when these guys come of age. And he keeps stacking these classes one after another after another. Like you stack, you stack a couple classes like the class you just signed. Like there, you're gonna you're gonna find your, yourself in a title game at some point here in the very very near future. Yeah, with, with an actual opportunity to win too, not just because you had a generational quarterback and you, you had some the ball bounced your way a couple times. Like no, like you were you're legitimately good enough to get there and win. And you have to be in a twelve team playoff. Yeah, right? there's no you, you can't get you, know, you can't get you can't get the fortune of a of a lucky draw where you know potentially the the, the clearly best team in the country gets you know doesn't make the four team playoff because they you know lost in their title game. You know those things aren't going to happen. Those teams every every team that is a legitimately top ten team will be in the playoffs, and you will have to get through them or the team that got through them. There's no there's not going to be any lucky draw in a in a in a twelve team playoff. Yep, agreed. Also, like the rapper Ply is actually making a really good point on the timeline today. You know how much leverage this gives Dan Lanning in recruiting. No recruits, players, or parents get to question his loyalty to the program. Now he gets to demand the same loyalty and commitment from them he just displayed. Smart move is recruiting is going to go through the roof. And I, I actually think that's like very well put, and I could not agree with him more. Yeah, I and we said that we talked about this earlier today when when it came out. Like this is the ultimate like fu card to any kind of negative recruit, recruiting about oh your coach might not be there. It's a stepping stone job. Wait till Georgia or Bama comes for him, and now you can just be like, what are you talking about? I turned them down. I'm here. I'm going to be here, and he can say it and he can mean it, and people will will, will know he means it. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge trump card. And today is a is a and you said this. I just have to say it too. Like this is a, this is one of the most important days in Oregon football, like ever. Like this today. I mean, there's there's those key moments along the way. The the time when, you know, when Phil decided he was going to start getting involved back, you know, after an embarrassing bowl game loss, you know, 25 years ago. That's an that's a fun that's a foundational day, right? The the time when Chip Kelly showed up and they. The team was in disarray and they all went to an offsite out in the middle of Wyoming and he stood up and he 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 talked about, you know, it, it created what eventually became win the day, right? Like that was a that was a seminal moment. That was a foundational day in where this program was heading at that time. And this is one of those moments. This is the moment where this isn't just, oh, let's see what's going on with this coach, and then we'll, you know, he'll go take another job and then we'll do the no, this is the day where Oregon is saying and Dan Lanning and our coach is saying. This is a tier one job. We are a tier one program. We're entering year three. The Death Star is fully activated and and watch out. Watch out. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm excited. I think that um this partnership between Dan, Phil, uh, and the university is like about to take off. And I think that we saw some we saw a taste of it this year, but that like to be honest with you, like that that is probably the second best team in Oregon history that we fielded this year. I don't think it'll be the second best team in the next four years. 
No. No, it's it, this is a that we are in we are in reload not rebuild right. I mean that's what this program is well, right that, now. This was a you building know, year. That's the thing that's crazy, and right? And that's the crazy <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There was de- I mean we've talked about it. There was definitely spot you know holes on this roster that that were being being plastered over and done and plastered over in a really good way and in a highly effective way. But at the end of the day, there's still it's still plaster, right? Um, and and you know we talked we talked about blue chips. You know on on the 2023 roster there was 52. 52 four and five star players on the 2024 roster as of right now that number is 10 higher it's 62 with evan stewart at you know being added today 10 more blue chips in one off season it's a you know 18 percent increase in blue chips the blue chip ratio i you know we, we calculate the ratio a little differently than bud because you and i use like current roster instead of like a rolling four recruiting classes so it's actually a little more accurate yeah that number is going to be over 70 percent this year yeah you know up 10 percent mm year over year 10 percent. i mean to go from 30 to 40 is is not that hard in a year to go from 60 percent to set or 61 percent to 71 72 percent in a single off season i'd have to do the math on the number of five stars but this has to be the most five star laden roster we've ever had next year uh yeah i have i don't usually break down five and four so you know differently on my chart but yeah i I think so too yeah it also depends like on what service you're looking at right because yeah, I always just do anything over a point nine eight and composite. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so let's talk about anything more on Dan. Uh, you know, are you you want to touch on the Alabama job? Or, you know, who's who? Where do they pivot to next, or anything like that? Or do you just want to move on to to our recruiting and our listener questions? Uh, I think I'm ready to move on. I mean, we could talk about Evan Stewart real quick before we do it. Oh yeah, the sanctions. What? Oh, I thought you said FSU. No, no, I, I said Evan Stewart. Oh, yes, let's start with Evan Stewart. So he visited, obviously, a couple of weeks ago. It's been talked about a lot. Former five-star two years ago at Texas A&M, and he committed this evening, a couple about an hour ago, to Oregon, five-star. QB, you've watched this film. What does he bring to the table? Where does he fit in the Oregon's offense under Will Stein? How does that receiver room kind of play out and just... Now tell us what we should be looking for. First and foremost, you you owe me and everyone who's listening a a rundown of what you're eating right now because we we have to know. I was trying to hide it. Yeah, you're not hiding <laughs> I'm just it. Eating, well. I'm eating a club sandwich. I was taking bites while you were talking, and then you kind of put me on the spot. So. <laughs> I'm like, I'm eating this... a club sandwich. Club sandwich. From... Your, your speaking cadence was very clearly like mid chew. It was that was, that was great. I was like doing. I had it chipmunked into my cheeks, and I was trying to talk, you know. But I'm like, I don't think this is. I don't think I'm selling this very well. No, this is great. I'm. I'm glad that I got to highlight that. And this can't get out of Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> right, Evan Stewart, I mean, five star. Tell us about him. Yeah, Evan Stewart. All right. So six foot, 180 pound receiver, uh, Texas A&M, uh, former Texas A&M Aggie. Uh, played two two years there. I believe it's like 81 catches, 1200 ish yards, bunch of touchdowns. Um, probably the most developed route runner we've ever had uh dangerous at all three levels in the route tree as more than adequate like he has, he has good burst and speed explosive explosive straight line speed to get go vertical but his stop start ability is like freaky freaky nasty like he can he can he can get into his stem get to the apex of the route and go from 100 to zero in one step and just snap routes off change directions He's been very well coached. He's basically the uh, like the the top prodigy of of margin hooks, who's a 
excellent private wide receiver coach in the state of Texas, probably the most well-known guy um, in the state. And he's, yeah, just like there, there's really, I'm struggling to find the words to express how good of a route runner he is. Like all three levels, again, despite not being the biggest guy in the world, um, big corners aren't a problem for him because his short area quickness, change of direction and body control. And then just the complete, like the deep tool, tool bag of, of, uh, route running techniques, releases, uh, he's, he's, he's impossible to stop at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and so in the red zone, I think he's going to be a tremendous threat. But when I look at someone like Evan Stewart, like if everything's right and there's some things obviously that, uh, we, we can't really speak on cause we don't know a lot about, um, but if his head's right and he's healthy to me, he steps in as clear number one receiver in the room. Um, he's going to be one of the better receivers in the country. And I, I, he's never played in an offense that's balanced with this quality of quarterback. I mean, the two years at A&M were riddled with quarterback injuries and some very maligned offensive play calling. Uh, I think this offense is a really good fit for him. I think he's a perfect replacement for Troy Franklin, not in the sense that he is Troy Franklin because they're different players. Like Franklin's more of a strider, um, six, three guy, whereas where Stewart is runs probably a slightly different route tree, but there's, there's an element of verticality in this game. We'll see how he blocks. I'm not, not super sold on him as a blocker at this point, but shorter quickness is there after the catch abilities there. And he's always open and he's always open because he's, he runs some of the most precise routes I've ever seen from a true sophomore college receiver. So, um, I think that with him, Holden, Franklin, Bryant, Dickey, um, Casper, and then that crop of freshmen, like this is the most deep and talented Oregon receiver room of all time. Now, I don't know that there's anyone in this room that's of the caliber of Troy Franklin. I'm pretty positive there, that there isn't, unless it's a young guy who hasn't yet shown himself, maybe Dickey in year two or, or McClellan or one of those guys. But I think that you're adding another bona fide draftable player with Evan Stewart, um, who is certainly going to elevate the room um, and give you tons and tons of flexibility. And I also think this is going to be a room that goes a little bit deeper in terms of rotation next year. So uh, Oregon is locked and loaded at receiver. They don't need anything else. I'm sure they'll continue to pursue Gatlin Bear, but I think he's going to end up taking that two-year mission. So he won't really be a 24 signing. He'll be a 26 signing. Which honestly, that that's perfect, right? You. I mean, the spacing is actually you not bad. You get the cachet of landing him, give him, you know, give you give your recruiting class a boost. You already have the in track. You, oh, I can't talk now. You obviously would have the inside track on securing his recommitment and, and enrollment in two years when he's done with his mission. And and that might be the point when you're you know you're ready, you're re- obviously you're reloading every year, right? But he he slides into you know a room at that point that'll look very differently different than the one that that exists this coming year. So it makes a ton of sense. If, if you wanted to give Evan Stewart just as many um, targets as you gave Troy Franklin this year, I think the outcome would be nearly the same. Because he is just such a ridiculous route runner, and he creates so much separation throughout the route tree that it's like you could go to him on any down running any route, and it's probably going to work. He's going to he's going to if if it's man to man coverage, he's going to be open. And against zone, he's, he's he shows like some good nuance and, and understanding there. So. Um, between again with with the guys in that room already i think we would have been fine but you had a guy like this and i think it kind of supercharges the room a little bit because you just elevated the, the the high end of the talent spectrum by quite a good margin oh without a doubt i i'm just looking at, i'm just looking at this room right and it's looks like okay you've got you got evan stewart yeah just the names you mentioned it's like holy 
holy cow. I mean, and obviously I think the Oregon's expecting big things from Jaron Dickey and in as a true sophomore in year two, or actually a red shirt freshman in year two coming off the injury. And then obviously you've got that really talented, you know, freshman core, which you, you even put them on the bench for now. Yeah, we, you know, anything they give us this year is the bonus, right? And, you know, McCall, McCall and Pelham and, and Gresham. And even then, like, it's like, this is a really good room. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I look at this team offensively now. When you add Stewart into the mix, it's like, what's the hole? Is there a hole? Uh, I mean, you've got, I, I no. I mean, I, it, I think Gabriel and Gabriel's a pretty comparable replacement for Knicks. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he's better, not saying he's worse. I'm not saying there's, you know, I'm sure he's better at some things and worse at some things, right? But he's he's going to play at a similarly high level in this offense. Um, you, you've certainly upgraded your backup quarterback because you have someone who actually has significant, like, game experience. And a way higher talent. talent. Yeah, with a similar and, higher talent And then you've got your, your, your running back room is certainly not, a, I mean, is you lose Bucky, but you get Noah back. You got Jordan James entering year three. You bring in the, the, the D2 guy, Jay Harris, and you know, it, like it's comparable. Your tight end room is better because uh, Sadiq's a year older. Um, and you got the, the, the true freshman coming in. And then your wide receiver room, obviously you lose Troy. But like you said, if, if there's a, again, not necessarily in production because I think they're going to spread the ball around more, but Evan Stewart is a, is a comparable replacement to Troy. And then you've got better depth and more playable guys who can make plays. And your offensive line, you're bringing back three starters. You're essentially have a plug and play four year starter coming over from Indiana, and and then your your fifth guy is what probably um who am I thinking? Who am I missing? Your fifth? Oh, your fifth guy is the 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 back the center who played in the bowl game and played meaningful reps in every game last year. So, yeah, yeah, poncho. So like, yeah, I, there's. I don't, not only is there, an, and then I think you have better depth. And I think you have better depth at almost everywhere. You do. So, and so this is I, a top five I offense. I don't see any like, holes on the offense. I mean, this it, was, it the, was number, the number like, one QB. offense last year. Yeah. And I, I, the only like, the only thing is, is like, I, I don't know that Gabriel is going to be as good as Knicks. I, I don't yeah, think but, that's fair. But he doesn't to put necessarily even need to be as good as Knicks, right? Like, well, I, I think that the rest of the group could improve around him. I mean, like, you return everybody. Right. The only person that's missing, you're missing Bucky and Franklin. I think that Bucky, well, well like, has a really special back who I would certainly put in my top 10 backs of all time for Oregon. I think that Jordan James can more than adequately replace him. And then now with Evan Stewart, like, again, I don't think that you're looking for a one-to-one replacement of that production with Stewart to Franklin. I think if you had to have it from him, you probably could get it. But I also think it's just a deeper, more talented and explosive room. And then at the tight end position is actually where I, I think like Kenyon Sadiq having a bigger role, I think is going to be something that we don't talk about enough in the lead up to next year. But when next season comes upon us, I think he's going to make three to four plays a game where it's like, holy crap. It has so, another element. That, yeah, he's just way offense. more explosive. Like he, like he's yeah. he's a true weapon. He's a he's kind of, he's a unique player and skill set at the at the tight end spot. So, um, I this this offense is loaded. It, if it takes a step back, it's gonna be it's gonna be unrecognizable. Yeah. So um, maybe it's the number three offense instead of the number it's one. A top I mean, five it was group. number one. It was number one in SP plus, FEI, F plus, beta rank. Uh, every, you know, mo- a lot of a lot of statistical categories too. Even going by his, you know, traditional statistics, like far and away across the board. It, I don't know if they far and away, but it was unequivocally the, the number one offense in the country last year, one hundred percent. And 
it's not going to fall far if it falls, if it falls at all. Um, now let's talk about the defensive pickup because Oregon got another commitment this week from a transfer player, Cam Alexander, transferring over. And he was uh, spent one season at. I'm blanking out, QB. Where was he last year? Uh, he was at UTSA. UTSA. Yep. Yeah. Same we place. About um, Will Stein come from? We have not talked about him yet. He no. had not. Our last episode, he had not yet committed. So he's coming over from UTSA. He's, he spent one year there. Um. And he, a couple years at at Sam Houston State before that, he has obviously coming up from the group of five, like he had one of the highest PFF uh, coverage grades. Again, take that for what you will. Um, uh, in the country last year, obviously you're moving up a level so that, that it has an impact. He also had 17 pass breakups last year, which is more than double the highest uh, number that on the Oregon team last year, which was Kyrie Jackson at eight. And more importantly, like he's played against like quality. He played Texas A&M two years ago when he was at Sam Houston State. This year he played against Tennessee at Tennessee. In both of those games, he held his own very well. Yeah, and I'm I mean, sure you've watched the tape of those games. Yeah, I've actually uh, written up he's, his evals already on Scoop Duck. The Evan Stewart one will, will be published tomorrow. Um, and I, to be honest with you, like I've watched a lot of Stewart, but not as much. I've, I've watched all of, of Cam Alexander's tape from last year. Um, and so I got some more homework to do on Stewart still, but like from what I've seen, that's kind of what I had thought on him. Uh, with Alexander, so the first thing is, I think he has plus length for his height. So you look at him, he's like, okay, he's like a 5'11 corner. Like, is he long enough? Well, the answer is yes. Like he's got, he seems to have longer arms. Than I think his proportionally would be normal for a player of his size. Um, and he's got really good explosive athleticism and twitch, and he can change directions. He's, he's a great. He, I, I, right now, today, walking into the program, he's a great press man corner. Um, where I was a little bit less impressed with him is in zone. He, he seems to get a little lackadaisical. He doesn't. He gets a little lazy sometimes in zone. I don't think it's all that engaging for him. And so he, he just gets lost at times and like gives up too much space. And he just doesn't show quite the same instincts in zone, which is also ironic because I think both of his interceptions this year were in zone. Um, but when when he gets to play bump and run and just be an athlete and chase run run and chase guys, he is he's pretty pretty awesome already. Um, and I think that there's clearly a lot of room for improvement with him technically, because he this was his first year at the group of five level. The two years prior, he was at Sam Houston State, where he was like an All-American level NA or uh, FCS player. So, uh, long story short, I, I really like this pickup. I don't know if he ends up having the same kind of rep share that Kyrie Jackson had this year. We'll see what because there's there's a lot of talent in that room now that I think is going to be coming of age, and there's going to be a lot of competition there. But I also wouldn't be shocked at all for him to start opposite of Jalil Florence, and I think he's a starter quality player at the power five level or at the power two level, I guess we should say now or get used to thing. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I'm excited about this. And I think the, the adage for me is if it doesn't make sense to you, the answer is you can never have too many guys that can cover. Um, as we saw this year, there was multiple times where we had to go down to our fourth and fifth corners. And um, even, even if this is an, an element to add experience and raise the floor of the room, that's fine with me because I think that the, the incoming talent, whether it's a Bodegu or, or fields is pretty exceptional. Yeah, and I think we've speculated, you know, in other episodes too, that there's a 
decent chance that that one or two guys who came into the program as outside corners may may get moved into the nickel or the slot corners or at least part-time right or may play there positionally so that may be part of the calculus here that that we don't necessarily have visibility into right now but will become apparent as we get into spring ball or, or certainly fall camp and beyond yeah agreed all right you want to do some listener questions yeah let's bang through a couple here yeah, we haven't done that in a while. It's obviously the hustle and bustle of uh, the recruiting season and the end up of the season. So let's get uh, the regular season. Let's get some stuff going. Um, we probably won't have any about Dan, but I think we would have addressed everything we would have said anyway. So these are based over the last few days. Uh, what types of things are you looking for in terms of improvement from this year to next year with the secondary, mainly safeties? Mm. You go first, Doug. <laughs> I I mean talent. I I think at this we're talking about safety, speed. I think it'd be the other thing. I, I'd say just kind of overall talent level and athleticism, particularly speed. I think we saw that when Oregon struggled last year, and primarily that was against one team. That was when we didn't have the speed that was necessary at the safety and nickel position to to cover. Um, so that would be what I would say. And I think some of that, you know, we've, we've talked about Kobe Savage coming in. We've talked about maybe moving Taishim out of the nickel position and into more of a deep safety role. We've, we've now got I, other people. Go ahead. I, I don't, I don't know that moving Taishim back further away from the line of scrimmage is helpful to him. I, I don't, I, I actually, I, I am very, uh, my opinion is that that is the opposite answer for Taishim. I just think that, okay. Like, I don't think taking him further away from the ball, like none of his, none of his old miss, miss film, none of his film at Oregon as a deep safety makes me think that he's just like night and day better there. I think the answer is to get better, longer, more rangy athletes at the safety position altogether, which I think Oregon's been doing. Um, and so they, they might be a little young, like you might be playing guys like Lopa and you might be playing guys like Fields and obviously you brought in Aaron Savage Flowers. and we'll see what, um, what did I say? I said Fields. Yeah, I meant flowers. Yeah. Um, and and we'll see what you can get out of guys like Terrell. And you just lost Cole Martin, but again, he was more of a nickel safety to me too because he's not he doesn't have a good length or, or ideal size. Uh, and I I don't know that he was the most rangy guy in the world. So it's like the it's a it's a tough skill set to recruit. I mean, even if you look in the transfer portal on a yearly basis, like like true like high end safeties aren't really in the portal almost ever. I think the only guy I can remember is Brandon Joseph, who transferred from Northwestern to Notre Dame a few years back, um, the year after Kyle Hamilton left Notre Dame, and he he's probably the best safety that's hit the portal in lot in since the portal came yeah. in. Um, I mean, we were looking this year, like you know, because we knew that was a position we wanted help at, and so we were kind of like combing the portal lists and looking up guys, and I'm sure you were looking at their tape. I know you were, and I was looking up you know some of their stats and and whatnot, and there, there was not, not many. Certainly not the one, not more of like the rangy type, right? Like there's some strong safety box safeties, but not a lot of the rangy, cover the field types that were out there that at a high level that Oregon would be looking to bring in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think Savage <laughs> was as about as good as you can expect to get from the portal. I think he's a good player. I think he's a plus player. Um, but I think really, ultimately, you're looking for guys that you've identified and recruited because of their athletic skill set and brought into the program to develop and take on those roles. Because, like, <clears throat> Taishim Johnson, you can take him away from the line of scrimmage, but all of his lack of super high-end explosiveness and change of direction still exists 
15 yards or 10 yards, 12 yards off the ball. Um, yeah. And really his strength is his tackling and the way he plays in the box. And so I don't like, I think what will end up happening is I think he'll have a reduced role, but still play the same position. It's more situational. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah that, I, that was the bigger problem <laughs> with safeties last year. Nichols, right. Is that between Evan, Steve and Taishim, they were literally the only three playable players and we're playing a hundred percent of snaps. Well, I mean, so. in, in, in the, how many games did we play this year? 14? In 12 yeah. of the 14 games, those guys were more than adequate. Yeah. And yeah. like, they honestly, were. like looking at our schedule next year and some of the new teams that we're going to be playing from the Big Ten, they should be just fine. It's just, there's, there is going to be a game against Ohio State where that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to be more athletic. Um, and, and we'll see what Washington is and some of these other teams. But I just, they're, you're not building this roster to beat up on Purdue or Maryland or Michigan State. You're building this roster to be able to to actually stop a really talented team in the playoff like a Texas or an, or a Georgia or an Alabama or whoever, right? And so yep. um yep. That that's 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 the direction this needs to go in order to get to that place. All right, let's move on to the next question because we got <clears> a lot to get to. Uh Quack uh, Fanatic says uh kind of three-parter here. Where would you like to see this team at? Co- let's focus on this part. Where would you like to see this coaching staff improve on game day? On the on the game day in tw- in next season, I, um, I I don't I mean I think the game the coaching staff is really t- I mean look we played fourteen games we lost two by a field goal each we won one close early early in the season before like everybody had kind of figure stuff out and the others were all blowout wins I, you know they some got closer and score at the end but they there was eleven blowout wins this year like that's a pretty darn good job yeah you're quibbling after that. Um, I, I mean, QB, they know how to kneel when it's yeah, time to kneel. I was going to say, uh, like, they, there, there was a couple. usage is pretty, pretty damn good. Pretty, it could be you know, improved a little bit. It could, yeah. the timeout usage could improve a little bit. Um, I think that there was times this year, and I think that actually Jeff Schwartz p- pointed this out, so I'm not going to take credit for it. I think he's right. Um, there was some times this year where we allowed teams to dictate what we were going to do, run versus pass a little bit too much with the RPO instead of having like just called runs and everything had a tag. Um, so I think situationally, there was times that we could have improved with our offensive play calling, maybe leaning on the run game a little bit more and just committing to it, even if it wasn't the the mm. most efficient numbers game for us. But I think it would have been something that would have bore fruits for us. Uh, and then the only other thing is we cut the field in half a lot. And I don't know if it's a Bo Nix thing or if that's a Will Stein thing. And so we'll find out. Um, yeah. Next year. Yeah. We covered that. And so I was watching in reviews. Same, uh, same, uh, another question there. Where did you see the most growth, either player or position group this year? I called this one in spring linebacker was going to be the most improved position. And I think it clearly was. Yeah, I think uh, it's hard for me not to say edge, actually, because Jordan Birch came in and was like, I mean, we knew he was going to be really good, but he was awesome. And then those three freshmen played very admirably all season long. And I think that because of those reps, like uh, my expectations for them in terms of the jump that they make from this year to next year is even bigger. But they from week one to week 10, how much different all of those guys played, yeah. I, I think was pretty massive. Uh, the, the other spot that I thought that we we got quite a bit better um, was at uh, at corner um, over the year prior. I, Christian Gonzalez was obviously incredible, uh, but I think that 
the rest of the room behind like cornerback two through five was substantially better this year than it was the year before. Agree. Uh, kind of leads into the next question, which I really like. Who is your most valuable position coach from this past season and why? So obviously you can't use Will Stein, Dan, or or Tosh. Mm. I mean, I thought that Hampton was really impressive to me. And I, I, that's kind of a cop-out because he's also kind of a coordinator. Like he's a co-defensive coordinator that I actually think takes a pretty large role in coordinating the defense. But I think that when Pallage left, I was a little concerned, and then we got Hampton, and I think we upgraded. I'd say, I think that for what we had physically at safety, we got everything we could get we out, got of those a lot guys. out of it. I thought our safety play was pretty exceptional relative to what they could, like what we could, like reasonably expect physically. I think that's a good one. I, I, you know, I give, I give a, I give a nod to Junior Adams um, at the wide receivers. I think again, two one thousand yard receivers, and he had, he only had four guys in the rotation, but again, they were extremely productive. Uh, the other one is is Elite Terry. I mean, you know, the, what was the whole story nationally about Oregon over the entire summer? Four, re, four, four new starters, four new starters, four new starters, and. I think you and I were were beating the drum all along that like I think people are going to be surprised. I think this this offensive line is going to perform at a really high level. They obviously did. They were Joe Moore finalists. I think they I think they actually were a better offensive line than the team that was awarded the Joe Moore. But that's a story for another day. But I think that just speaks to the job that uh, Terry and obviously the, the you know the whole staff with him with Cav and. And everybody working cutter working under him too. Like they did a tremendous job with the offensive line, and I think that deserves a shout out too. Yeah, agreed. I think Elite Terry did a really good job, and I think that you have to give credit to the whole firm, the firm, the law firm. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question: How much harder do you all think it will be to win a championship now with a twelve-team playoff and being in the big? I have actually, a double answer to this question, but I want you to go first. <laughs> I have a unconventional answer to this question. I don't actually think it's going to be that much harder. Because I think that, like, let's say you have some injuries and you lose a game because of it, you're still going to have access. And so if you get healthy and your team is quality enough, like, you're going to be in a position to, to play for it when it matters. Um, and so, I think that okay. a team like Oregon, as a high seed in a playoff, is going to be able to absolutely pummel some low seed teams that get in. So I'll, I'm going to answer this this way. For several years, I have said that winning in a 12-team playoff is going to be harder than winning in a 14-team playoff. And and I would still say that to be true if the college football hadn't completely changed over the last 24 months. And and what I mean by there is the talent gap disparity between a Clemson, you know, what at the time was Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and then there was a significant gap in talent to everyone behind those four. And that's why I thought, well, in, to win in a four-team world, only maybe one or two of those teams are going to be in. You might only have to play one of them. Maybe you'll get lucky and they'll get knocked off and you won't have to play any of them. And that makes it easier. And and the fact you only have to win two games instead of three or four obviously makes it easier just mathematically if everything's equal. So I've, I believe that. And I think that was true. But the world changed and NIL and the portal and everything else happened. And now the talent gap is not it's not even it's not it hasn't been completely eliminated but it has been narrowed and in the, in the, at least in the top 10 12 you know the the teams that are going to be in the playoffs most years that gap from 1 to 8 is not as high as it was even 2 seasons ago 
And so I think that aspect will help make it not, I wouldn't say easier, but it will make that, you know, the 12 team playoff era not be as big of a jump. And I think the other thing you said is the first thing about winning in the playoffs is actually making it to the playoffs. Because you look at a team like Oregon this year as a perfect example. I firmly believe Oregon had a top four team in this country, but they didn't make it to the playoffs because of the way, the way there's only four teams that'll make it, conference champs play into it, you don't have enough cross play, the way they picked the teams, and then it was a year where there were so many, you know, one-loss teams and undefeated teams, right? So the access part is an, is a component you also have to consider. And that's not just about Oregon, but anybody else, right? That, you know, Florida State this year, like they didn't even make it, right? And, and then there's years past, and you go back to the BCS era where 2012 Oregon was at least the second best team in the country behind Alabama, maybe the first best team in the country. They didn't even make it to the BCS game because they lost one game and they're out, right? And so the fact that you everyone has a mulligan now, everyone. In 2012 with a 12-team playoff, do you think Oregon wins the title? Probably not because they didn't have enough talent. Oh, I think they would have won. They, but I, that was like, yeah, I think they would have won. I think that, I, I would say this: if you give you put us in a four-team playoff in 2012, I think we win. It's I think it's clearly Oregon, Bama. You know, or, and pick what you will. You know, and how who wins it. But the point being, you never know because you didn't get there, <laughs> right? And and how many times have we seen that over the BCS and and the the four-team era where the team that the team just got left out and. I think that access piece is such a huge part of it. So, and I think the narrowing talent gap is what's given me more. And and quite frankly, what Dan Lanning and staff are doing here at Oregon to increase the talent level, uh, to to narrow that gap. And so it's narrowing in two ways, right? Oregon is leveling up their talent, leveling up their program, leveling up everything about it. And I think conversely, those juggernaut teams that can that stockpiled all the five stars their talent is coming back to earth a little bit because those guys cycle out in the portal that don't that you know some of them do so i i do think it's certainly harder but it's i not as harder not as much harder as i would have thought even a year ago or two years ago um that is now so Next question, Will Hauser, based on how Oregon looks now and other teams in the Big Ten, what would be your first guess on Oregon's record next year? I think four four losses is the floor with two being realistic. Mm, Ceiling floor, I think ceiling is undefeated or one loss, and I think floor is probably three losses. Yeah, and obviously the caveat, you know, normal normal amount of injuries, right, at, at key positions. So I, I kind of think so, too. I think 93 is the floor. I, 12, I mean, Oregon went 11-1 this year. I know they're in the Big Ten next year, but also Oregon's coming in there with a lot a lot of things going in the right direction, and, and I think 12-0 is certainly in play. If I had to make a prediction, I'd probably say 10-2 and um, or 11-1. and I think you already answered this question earlier. Who replaces Franklin's production? Um, I think it's going to be by committee, but I think that now that Stewart's there, if Stewart's right and healthy, I think that he's going to he's going to suck up quite a bit of production. Probably, like, uh, how many catches did Franklin end up with in the regular season? Like seventy? About eight, it was eighty exactly, I believe. Eighty. Okay, so yeah, I would think yeah. that I think that like somewhere fifty to fifty-five for a guy like Stewart. Yeah. And then he gets um, some, some spread around, but Sadiq will pick up some. You know, maybe maybe Trayshawn should pick up some, and then maybe yep, you got some Dickie, Dickie or somebody picks up I, some. Exactly. And 
So I, I think that it gets spread around a little bit more. Um, and Tez probably doesn't get 86 either. So some of his production will be spread out amongst those. Again, I think people. it's a deeper room. So I just think that more guys yeah. play. Um, and so yeah. pr- production gets evened out a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I think that primarily you're looking at Dickey and Stewart as guys that need to step up to replace that production. And then you're looking for guys like Bryant, um, Johnson. Well, Bryant, Bryant and Holden primarily because Johnson, is, is I think, just needs to stay the same. You're looking for a guy like Holden to really step up because I think physically he's the one that has the most upside um, to step up and probably demand another 25 catches next year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, follow up question or, or kind of next question there. Where does the I love this one? Where does the 2023 squad rank among Oregon's all time greatest teams? Ooh. What are your thoughts? I think it's top three, top four. It's hard because, like, are you saying, if you're saying, like, if I put this team on the field against that team, who would win? That's how or I take is it. That. Or is it more like, in it, based on that season and their accomplishments and what they what they did in any given season? No, 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 that's is, it, is that which put team them on the field like, against each the, other? Is it more of the accomplishments or the actual, like, no, line let's up just and say, play? Let's say line up and play. Who do you got? I don't know if anybody beats this team. I'm maybe, maybe 2012. I would say to me, I think 2012 be, is the best team before yeah, I'd, this I'd one. Go, I would go like from a matchup standpoint, it'd be kind of interesting with those two teams played because it's the 2012 team actually wasn't super awesome on the outside of receiver. No. Um, I would probably say this team beats 12. I think Almost. so too. I think they would be 12. Yeah, I, I think that this is probably, at worst, the second best team we've ever had. It's 12 in this team to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'd say that to me, the, the 2010, 2012, 2014, 2023 are, are, to me, a clear and away top four. I mean, if you want to think about 2007 and without injuries, you know, like that's a... I think that's more of a compared to the rest of the, the country in 2007 and not the team, like, from a raw level, but I think that's a clear top four in my mind. And I, I think this team wins that tournament. If you know, I think it's a question for another day of, of which are the, which are the best seasons in, in Oregon history, right? Which is maybe you're more talking about accomplishments and whatnot. And I still would put this one in the top five, five or six. Um, but it's a really, really good team. And it was a special season. And, you know, sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way, you know, one or two plays. And we know what this fan base knows more than anyone, what one or two plays difference can make in, in an entire season. And, uh, and that was that kind of year. And it was still one that I will look back on with a lot of fond memories. Yeah, I agree. What's the next one, Doug? All right. Yeah, let me go over to the next question here. There they are. Sorry. All right. Um... What is your way too early big power rankings? Well, I don't think we want to do all 18 teams, but oh, maybe I'll, we'll just say top I, five. I could bring out the top like five or six, though. Yeah, exactly. Go for it. Uh, okay. Um, going into the year, I'm probably going to go one Ohio State. I think they've... if Agreed. I agree. They've done some really good things in the portal, and then they've also... They're, they're bringing back a lot of high-end guys on defense. I'd go Ohio State one, Oregon two, Michigan three... Penn State for. Ooh, I don't know who I'd put at five. That's kind of. 
Um, to me, it's between Maybe. like USC and yeah, probably go USC five. Don't yeah, love I, that, I, but I don't know who. It, like, it, there's kind of a scrum of is teams. Is Wisconsin I, ready to take a jump? They're still another I mean, year away. I, I think that they very well might end up being the fifth best team in the conference. But I would, I would, I think that they'll probably like some. They'll settle somewhere between like five and nine this year, and then next year, the year after that, will be the first year that like Pickles really got his roster in place. They've they've done a really good job in the transfer portal, and I think that they did a really good job in this last recruiting class. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't think it's Wisconsin. I think I would, I would favor USC over Wisconsin. If you ask me, um, Nebraska could be in there. Maryland, actually Mar- Maryland might be five. Hmm. Yeah. Maryland's an interesting one. I hadn't, hadn't considered that one. I don't know. That's tough. The fifth, the fifth spot's hard. The top four is pretty easy for me. I think, I think USC ultimately ends up being five. Um, but we'll see. All right. Desert Duck 99, taking today's roster, where is the biggest weakness that you can identify against our new Big Ten conference? Okay. Uh, safety. <laughs> yeah, I think it's still safety. But I, I will yes, say sir. that, like, youth and inexperience has a lot of question marks around the interior defensive line. But in terms of talent, like, I don't think there's a talent. There's not a, a lack of ability. It's just lack of proven production. So, um I'm I'm more concerned about the talent at safety. I'm more concerned about the experience at um, defensive line. Yep, I agree. Do y'all expect a sizable or minor team offensive stat regression moving to the Big Ten, such as points per game, efficiency numbers, et cetera? I think you'll see a little bit because you're going to play Michigan and Ohio State, who are both going to have yeah, really better awesome defenses. Yeah, um, on next year's schedule, but. Like against the mean of the conference, I don't think there's gonna be any regression. I mean, I think everyone is gonna have regression in the in the power two conferences just from the st- fact that they're playing better competition more often. But it's it's all gonna even out in the wash. So if you look at it from a relative rankings instead of you know specific the numbers, like are you still in tenth place? Who cares what the number is, right? Um, Next question. Are you confident that the young but talented D-line, Green, Washington, Breland, et cetera, can play to the standard needed for a title run or a playoff run at least? I think so, yeah. Playoff run for sure. Um, and it, I just think year one to year two, there's a lot of growth that takes place in that first full off season, uh, both physically but mostly technically, learning how to play because I think they're all physically really good already, but they're going to look better next year. Um, and then also the development that takes place place during the season. I mean, think of the development that happened with our true freshmen this year from week one to week 10. What happens after a full off season from week one to week 10 next year? So um, I I think that that room would have benefited from a guy like Nolan or Harmon or Hicks. Um, But as it stands, there's still a super high volume of talent. So I don't, I think they'll be all right. Yeah. It's funny because I, you know, I started thinking, and we've talked about the summit too, and I'm not really going to talk about the D-line now, but more about like a title run, right? Like I think the definition of that has changed, will change next year, or at least even, even saying a playoff run, right? Because I think up to this year, you kind of say a playoff run is making it to a four team playoff, right? And then kind of whatever happens when you get there, what is what happens, right? I, I now see there's like levels, right? Cause I think to me, like, 
if you're damn landing in Oregon and, and where you're going with this program, like making a 12 team playoff is not a goal. It's, it's not like, that's where we want to be. I, I would actually say if they made a 12 team playoff and lost in the first round, they'd probably consider that a disappointment. Um, and, and, and obviously it's going to vary year to year to year. Right. And, but I, I look at, to me, like when I say, when, when someone asks me a question around, do we have the, do we have the guy at this position ready to make a playoff run? What I, what that means to me is when, win games when you get there like not necessarily all the way to winning and hoisting the final trophy right but like if you if you finish 10th and you lose in the first round like that's not a playoff run in my mind a playoff run is you either get a buy or you host a first round game or you win you know and you certainly win the first round game maybe you win the second round game and and you make it to the semifinals and then it's whatever happens after that right so maybe it's just definitional in the way i think about things but that's I think that when I when that question, I need more context to the question, you know, in order to answer it in that way. I just think that like coming out of spring, I'm gonna have a much better idea. Yeah, that's true too, and we'll obviously be here talking about it. Uh, Hayward Hawk asked a couple questions. I'm curious from an analytical view, why is it that the Washington offensive line receives the Joe Moore Award? Oh, I didn't even read this question out of time, by the way. Over Oregon, <laughs> while Oregon had a top three or four offense in the country. JPJ wins Remington. Our sack total was sub six, not to mention the overall balance of our offense. Uh, yeah, so that, I have a, a theory on this. I, I have a theory on this, but you go ahead first if you want. I think that they got away from their actual criteria and picked a team because of the, because of. Oops. Did you mute? Did you go away? I'm not hearing you anymore. You be there. I don't know. I actually, I didn't hit anything. So, <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're that saying. They got a, I think they got away from their actual criteria and chose a team because of the of where they were, like from an outcome standpoint, and not actually because of the quality of the offensive line. I the, that's one of my theories, and I've looked back, and I think every every winner has been a playoff team. And I, and, and when I sat down and listened to the playoff game, you know, watch the playoff games and you could do a drinking game with how many times the commentators mentioned the Joe Moore award winning offensive line in those two games. And that's a lot of people listening and watching and hearing that. And I do, I, I, I look, the Washington offensive line was great. They had, they were deserved to be a finalist for the award. They had an excellent season, particularly in pass protection. They had some, some great, um, you know, some greatly improved play running the ball later in the year. But if you, if, if the criteria of this award is one through four weeks, one through 14 or one through 13, sorry, the, the, the first 13 games of the season, like statistically from every metric available, they weren't the best. They weren't the best offensive line in the country. And hey. and and what I heard is, well, they they finished strong. They were trending in the right direction toward the end of the season. And so is it is it a they well, they were dominant in the they were dominant in the conference title game. So the question is, okay, well, is it a one game award because you won the conference title game and looked good there, or is it a thirteen game award because you did it all season long? And even if you're doing this on like a talent basis, where maybe like some guys blossom late, like. There's one iron draft talent on that entire offensive line. I don't. I, 
I mean, they say they watched the tape and that's what they saw. And I, I mean, like, listen, like I, like I have a lot of respect a good line. for, it's a good line. Like, there's also a lot of really highly qualified people on that committee. I just think that they, I think they got away from their criteria a little bit on that one. Yeah. And, and they, uh, yeah, they ran for three yards, less, uh, 2.7 yards of carry in two playoff games. So. I guess that's the ultimate judge of that one. This is probably an obvious question, but does Oregon get a top five recruiting class if they did not go to the Big Ten? And have you heard how the early enrollees did during bowl practice? Uh, oh, I, they'd say no. Do. I don't think they finished top five if they're still in the pack, whatever. And I've heard some pretty good things about Dakota Fields. That's great right. to hear. And I think we'll hear a lot more, obviously, through spring ball. I mean, the reality is, is there's not, there's, there's, there's just not a lot of, there's, they're, they're, it's probably most, I'm not saying they're not practicing and contributing and stuff, but like at the end of the day, there's like, these guys are still high schoolers. They get, you know, <laughs> they show up on campus for a couple of weeks and they're, they're thrown into practice with teams, with a, with a team that has been practicing together daily for four months straight. Right. I mean, it's literally throwing them into the deep end of the pool. And, and I think anything you get in, in those practices is bonus, right? It's really more about getting the, getting them used to the speed and the, and the structure of practice and the, the expectations and everything. If you can do that now, then when they start, when they start those things in, in, in the winter conditioning program and everything else, it's more about acclimation, I guess I would say, right? Not that you're not getting valuable reps and getting them on a field and getting film on them too and putting them in in situations because you are, but um, you know it, it's fantastic that they had all those guys here for sure. Yeah, for sure, I agree. All right, I got one more question, QB, and it's a really long one. And again, I haven't read this ahead of time, so we're gonna we're gonna hear it together. This season told us that. Washington was really well built to beat us, but in reflection, I'm left feeling like there's still so many question marks about this team. The advanced models, as Doug has recently pointed out, are incredibly fond of the Ducks, but I continue to struggle with how exactly we'd stack up in the playoffs. After much listening to Hithliday and y'all throughout the season, I was left feeling like we were borderline great at every critical position besides safety. Is it possible that some of our assessment for the strength of this team was in comparison to Pac-12 good versus the Georgia-Alabama standard of truly elite? Oh, can, yeah. flush out how, can we flush out how far we have to go along the D-line, secondary, and other positions to firmly cement Oregon in the upper echelon of college football? Yeah, well, I, I think we've already gone the place we need to go on the defensive line. It's just a matter of developing that talent and getting it ready to go. Um, but yeah, we were a ways off. We were definitely Pac-12 good, and I think we would have been nationally competitive this year because I think that what like Georgia good this year wasn't nearly as good as Georgia's been recently on the defensive line, for example. Um uh, the spots that I think that Oregon like needs to take steps are both lines still. Um, and then defensive back, linebacker. I mean, kind of across the board, to be honest with you. Like you just need to get better everywhere. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna compete on that level, you have to be elite everywhere. And I think that Oregon had some elite players, um, but they did not have elite position groups. I also think you're you're getting to the point too where outside of like activating the recruiting you know and some of this is just time right like there's only so much you can do we've talked about this too right like the portal you can do a lot you can you can use the portal to fill specific needs and and to plaster over specific holes but it's at the end of the day like you've got to bring in the, the high school recruits across your roster and then you've got to develop them right and, and so there's a time component here the 23 class will be entering their second year this great 24 class will be entering their first year so 
you're you're, you're kind of still in that transition phase from what well, what have we had to do to be as competitive as we can, you know, in year one and year two and even going into year three, right? But then you get to 2025 and beyond, and now you're talking about a fully activated rolling roster based, you know, primarily on on high school recruiting with with portal with high end portal talents to to fix your misses. And I think we're, I think Oregon is still probably one more year away from that, but that doesn't mean that year is lost. Like this year, 2024, like the sky is still the limit because they've been so good at all of the aspects of, of roster building and roster management. So, uh, I think they're there. And I also would say the, they're, they're, they're getting to the point QB where it's incremental gains that add up to be substantial, right? Like it's, it's getting that last 10%, that last 5%. And that's sometimes the hardest five and 10% to get, but it also is like, it's not like, oh my gosh, we have a clear massive hole here. This guy, you know, this position group or this person is not even close to the standard. And it's more like, that guy's really freaking good. He just is, needs to be a smidge better. And it's one or two plays a game, you know, and in some cases, or, or just having all 11 guys on the field be a smidge better. And that adds up to seven points better on that side of the ball over the course of the, the game. To get the, like, like, let's just make this really simple to get from to Bama Georgia level. Basically every major contributor needs to be a, an NFL player. And so, like, we yeah. are getting it's a not, lot. It doesn't mean more, your entire starting lineup, but it means six no, to seven, like, eight of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like well, no. I mean, it kind of means I'm like, basically, yeah, like eight to ten guys. And maybe not all in this. They're not all going to be in the same draft class. But over the course of three years, every every one of those guys that actually plays and contributes is, prime, like, for the most part, with a few exceptions, you got some good college players who aren't NFL guys. But most of the guys are going to get drafted. If you're, if you're in Alabama or Georgia – and you play significant reps at any position over over two or three years, the odds of getting drafted are very very high. That's what that's what it's been for them. So like, if that's the level you're trying to get to, like, I love Popo Mwabe, I love Taki Taimani, I love Casey Rogers and their contributions, but those guys aren't good enough. They just don't. They're not. They're not. They're not draftable players. And so like, those aren't guys. Like that's that's a great. I think that was a great starting point for this staff rebuilding this roster. But that is not the destination. The destination is these young guys. Um, And I don't mean that. And again, I hope I hope that doesn't come across as too harsh or disrespectful to anybody that's can pour blood, sweat, and tears in this program because I I love those players genuinely. Um, But like, you want to know where the gains are made? Like that's where the gains are made. You start getting freaks on the defensive line. You start getting freaks. I'm just one freak in Franklin receiver, but multiple freaks at receiver. Um, you start instead of playing a guy like Casey Kelly out there again. I'm, I'm calling up guys by name. I don't like doing this, but I just you have to make name examples. You get guys like Kenyon Sadiq on the field. Um, you like their your your tackles are actually strong players who can displace can displace people with power. Um, and I think that's where Connerly and 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 Cornelius go before they eventually get drafted. Um, at safety, like there's no room for guys who are Jags. Like you have to have guys that are at worst case late round picks. So that that's where this goes. Like that's like if you want to you want to bridge that gap, you want to become that elite, then you got to have draftable players at every single position. Yeah, I right. you, you couldn't have said it better. And and I, you know I think I talked about this. I don't remember if it was on a previous podcast or Spaces or just a chat with somebody. But I feel like from a recruiting standpoint, it's like the one place that that Oregon still needs to activate is 
you know, you, they're hitting the, they're, hit, you know, they had 21 blue chips out of the high school in this class, which is just phenomenal. Right. And you look at it and you start striating it in, in your tiers, right? Like top 250, top 200, top 150, top 100. Like they're nailing all those. I think the one place they still need to get to is the top 50 five star. Like not, I mean, they get some, right. But they like where you look at when, when Bama and Georgia and what, you know, sometimes this year, Miami did this and Texas, I think, you know, the last couple of years as well, it's how many of those, and I say top 50 is kind of a placeholder for five stars. Cause it's, it's the five stars and the guys that are basically five stars, but didn't make the top 32 cut. Right. Like it's that top 50, top 30 level where, you know, if you can get instead of one or two a year, which is where Oregon's kind of been at, if you can get that to three or four or five a year, I think that's that incremental difference that is, you know, really could be the difference between making it to a semifinal or a final in the 12 team playoff and actually winning when you get there. I actually think that this class that we just signed by the time the final ratings come out might be there. <laughs> like I think there's some guys that are that are primed to get some pretty big bumps like Obadegu and Flowers that'll push them in the top fifty joining rushing Breland and Ellen. Um so like I, I hear you and I agree, but I, I think that this class hits the mark. I don't I I don't think that this class missed. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm not saying this class missed, but I think that like this would be the first time that we've really done that, right? So I, I think yeah, that's you know, yeah, no, you gotta you've got to stack that year on year, right? All right, QB, that's all the questions we have for today. Uh, again, great, phenomenal day. And I think we're going to be looking back on this day in, in, you know, many years to come and as a, as a foundational monumental day in Oregon football history and, and, and just incredible. I, I am so happy to be a Duck fan. I'm so happy that Dan Landing is our coach. And, uh, you know, obviously, sky's the limit from here, man. 100% agree. I'm really excited about where this goes. Um, and I think that, I don't know, like there's just, there's a comfort that comes with having your guy. And it's not like he's a 60-year-old coach where he doesn't have a lot of time left. You have a 36-year-old coach who is your guy who genuinely is probably at worst a top five coach in the country right now um, who's just getting started at your program. Like that's exciting. Like that makes me, I'm so like, I'm so glad we started this and we get to cover this because um, it's, it's exciting times to be a Duck fan. Absolutely. You know what else is exciting times to be, QB? What? A listener of this podcast. Because there are big, big things in store, pun fully intended, about where we're going on this show in 2024 as the Ducks enter into the Big Ten Conference and the Power 2 era and the 12-team playoff era and all the stuff we just spent an hour and a half talking about. This is the place you're going to want to be to hear about all of it and more as we will, we will also up our game and we will also ramp up what this show brings to you, all of you, our listeners, and we love you all. And thank you for all your great questions today, QB. But stay tuned. There is more to come. QB mentioned some awesome guests we're going to have. That's not, that's not all. There's going to be more. There's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of things to come here. So I don't want to overhype it, but I I'm excited about where you and I are going to go in 2024 on this show. And, and I can't wait uh, to get started with that as well. So stay tuned. Thank you all for listening at QB 11 show on Twitter. Of course, follow the man himself at QB11SD. You can follow me at DouglasTS. Thank you one and all for listening. Great day to be a duck. Agreed, Doug. Great day to be a duck. Go ducks, guys.